Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Hey everybody, welcome. Episode number 8 of the Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien. Today we are joined by Pure Nomad, Sam Soholt. Sam, somebody I met five or six years ago and uh, as a young photographer in the hunting industry and somebody that I became fast friends with and somebody who not only did I respect who he was and what he did, but I respected his creative vision and his work and all the things he did with a camera, with a rifle, with a bow, whatever. And Sam's also somebody who lives a life that a lot of people could respect. He lives as a nomad kind of doesn't have an address it's hard to pin him down uh, i know he used to live in montana and sometimes in south dakota but he kind of always was everywhere and doing things uh, living life the way all of us would want to just with a ton of freedom and most recently sam has built a bus he didn't build a bus he bought a bus and then turned it into uh, a camp a mobile hunting camp and took it around and, and used that bus to highlight public lands um, and he also has a company called Public Land Tees that he started. That money goes back into backcountry hunters and anglers uh, for public lands from each purchase. So all these things put together make Sam uh, a force in the hunting world and somebody I call a friend, and I'm happy to do so. So hopefully episode number eight will be a good one for you. Please enjoy Sam Soho. Sam, what's up? Man? Yeah, what's going on? Not much. Um, I am actually just sitting in my pickup at the moment. Figured that would be the quietest place where I could uh, record this with you. We've done a few. This will be our second, where at least one of the participants, if not both, were in a pickup, and I find that to be okay. I have no problem with that. Yeah, yeah, it works as long as you're not driving. Yeah, you, uh, you and Callahan did it in in the pickup in the show didn't you yeah which is a bit of a russian yeah. nesting doll of weirdness 
Yes, we did. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're not driving the truck, though. It's stationary. I'm not driving. No, I'm not driving. I'm parked. Um, but I thought it seemed fitting. I'm a fairly, you know, I travel a fair bit. So that's good. Yeah, I might as well do it in my home. Good. Well, not, you know what I mean. Yeah. I feel like the first thing to talk about is that it's turkey season because yeah. um, it, that's the only thing to think about right now. If anybody else is, mm-hmm. hun- is a hunter and they're thinking about anything but turkeys, they're foolish. Um, and I've had <laughs> yeah, like pretty f- much tur- turkeys and snow geese. Yeah, snow a few. Geese, you know, like whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. snow geese. Whatever. <laughs> Let's get okay. Yeah. February, you can hunt snow geese. Let's That's back right. off. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you got some turkey <laughs> plans coming up? I do. Yeah, I'm gonna do a little turkey tour in the bus. Um, gonna go chase some in Nebraska first before I go out to Boise for the BHA rendezvous, and then uh, depending on timing, probably chase some in my home state in South Dakota. And then, uh, you never know. Like it's a turkey with turkeys. It's kind of nice. You don't have to plan like a 10 day trip. Yeah. You know, somebody can call you and be like, Hey, I've got turkeys. And I'll be like, all right, I'll be there in the morning. <laughs> and, and you go and shoot a turkey. You're um, right about that. I know the beauty I know of it's turkeys. Not always the case. I know that's not always the case for turkey hunting, but a lot of times you, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, chasing mule deer or elk where you gotta have plenty of days to make sure you get it done. We were talking about this the other day. Do you feel like there's a way to do a public land Grand Slam in the States? There's got to be. Let's make that right? a thing. I mean, yeah, there's got to be. Let's make that a thing. Because I don't know that anybody's ever okay. said or did that. I just shot an Osceola in Florida. I don't know if there's Were any... you on, <clears throat> were was you on private? Yeah. But I, I was yeah. looking around on the maps, on the Onyx maps, trying to figure out if there was public where you could turkey hunt. Because I feel like that's the only missing piece. I mean, there's... I know you can hunt Easterns, Rios, and Merriam's on public ground. I know no that. No problem. Yeah. So yeah. if we could find the secret yeah, public yeah. ground spot for Osceola's, we're, we're in. I feel like between you and I, though, like we know enough people in Florida where we could make that happen. Yeah, we just can't tell anybody if we find like the golden spot for Osceola's. No, we land. can't. It'd have to be like, uh, I don't know how we'd pull that off. We'd just we'd have to do it very publicly, but very secretive at the same time. Yeah, we would like, make, we would just probably make up names. We wouldn't say what's really going on. That's right. Yeah, because <laughs> I can't imagine there's somebody from Florida can write in and tell us all about the public land turkey. Hunt, yeah, but I, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of that going on. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine so. Um, but it seems like a good goal that we need to to figure out how to pull off in the next couple of years. That's true. That's true. Tell Just tell everybody why you think turkey hunting is the best type of hunting there is. Because that's, I mean, obviously, that's the reality. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's... Okay, I'll just start. <laughs> <laughs> turkey hunting is amazing. Uh, first of all, it's springtime. Like, everything, you know, like just spring in general is great. It's kind of like the transition out of the deep freeze. And, you know, if you, if you live in the northern part of the U.S. And... Everything start, you know, everything's growing back and everything's turning green. Everything smells good. And then you go out and you chase these like 12 to 20 pound dinosaurs that basically yell at you and try to attack you. And then you shoot them in self-defense most of the time. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, it took me a long time to get into turkey hunting. I never thought I would like it. I didn't like watching movies. I didn't, you know, uh, you know, I didn't like watching turkey hunting shows. It just, I always thought it was just super boring, but. I went and did it one time, and I was like, ah, I get it now. <laughs> this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's like almost saying, like, tell me why Donald Trump is the greatest president or the best president. 
<laughs> Choose one. Yeah, you really phrased that in a in a tough way. I feel like turkey hunting. <laughs> Rogan talked shit on turkey hunting when he went with Ranella, and I feel like there's other people around that are popular that talk shit on turkey hunting. So I just feel like I need to be a voice for the greatness of the yeah. Wild did turkey. they go kill? Did they kill any turkeys? I feel like I don't know if Rogan killed a turkey or not. Probably not. Well, that's that's probably why he's talking shit on it. I know, but if he did, <laughs> I don't know, I'll, I'll get him eventually. But I just feel. I feel like turkey hunting is just underrated. It's seen as like a redneck pursuit, which I maybe it is. I'm a redneck, but even even if it is, it's worth it. Yeah, totally it's my worth favorite. it. You're talking to a giant raptor, well, giant relative yeah. terms. Yeah. And right. so here's the question uh, for you, and you've you've done a lot more turkey hunting than I have, um, and a lot of people say that they're, you know, an incredibly smart bird. In my personal opinion. I think that they are so dumb that they are hard to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> like they fly, they fly down from the roost. They have no idea what they're doing. That day. They're like a ping pong ball. It's just like, you know, it's like a, it's like a puffed up Roomba going from like, they <laughs> hit the tree line and then they turn and then, and then they just keep, they go and they hit that field edge and then they just turn and they just, you know, they're just, just strutting around out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could yeah. be, I, there's times when, you're turkey hunting, and it seems like the most simplest thing you could ever do. So you, you go out yeah. there, you make some, you shut the car door, and they start gobbling. They come running in, you shoot them. Like I've had right. things like that happen where you just ask. Like last year, two years ago in Florida, the turkeys were tough all morning. They weren't really gobbling. We didn't get into much, and we were walking back to the truck on this paved road, and there was a little food plot just down over this little palmetto ridge, and we were talking full voices and i think this turkey gobbled at our voices that's <laughs> the first time <laughs> it gobbled and then i just went down over the hill and hit the call one time and it came running through this palmetto and i shot it like five yards <laughs> so then you're thinking like mm, i gotta tell you this can't be the hardest thing when that's when that's going on yeah um yeah but i just i i think that we hunt them in just like white-tailed deer if you were only hunting white-tailed deer in November, you would think they're the dumbest, you know, pussy hungry things there ever was. Um, yeah. So I think we, we, and then, you know, they've habituated or they've cohabitated enough that we'll see them in our backyards. You see them in parks sometimes. And so anything you yeah. see in those environments you think might not be that smart. But yeah. I've hunted swamp gobblers in Louisiana that you just thought there's no way it'll, you'll ever trick it into coming near you. I mean, there's just, it just right. feels like you'd never get it done. So. Yeah. I think yes and no. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. It's all situational. Yeah. So I'm I'm reading an article yeah. now uh, from our boy Steve Hickoff. You ever met Steve Hickoff? I don't think I have. He's a turkey killing genius. So he's, he has an article yeah. on Realtree.com called "How to Get Your Turkey Hunting Grand Slam on Public Land." Oh, nice. Uh, and he wrote it in January. So he so <laughs> the first thing he says. Good news, three-quarters of the Grand Slam on public land is easy. Bad news, the quarter not accounted for is Florida's Osceola subspecies. Tagging a public <laughs> land Osceola is tough. I think it yeah. goes on. It goes on to list how tough it actually is. Oh, yeah. Seems, yeah, worth, seems worth trying, though. Seems worth See, but that's it. We just got to spend like a whole month in Florida scouting, sitting on the beach, right. drinking booze. Yep. That's what we got to do. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to happen. It doesn't happen. seem terrible. <laughs> Hopefully Steve Hickoff listens a, to this I'll, and 
can help us. I'll get an air conditioner put in the bus and we can roll that down. Oh yeah. That base camp. yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. You get a lot of, a yeah. lot of ladies get on that bus. Like the, when the bus pulls up and they see inside a lot of, a lot of young ladies want to get in there. Uh, are you asking that question? Yeah. So uh, that's a question. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't. No, that's not a thing. It, 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 you know, surprisingly enough, luckily I have a, a girlfriend who loves the bus, but, mm. uh, it's not exactly a, I wouldn't call it a female magnet. Um, a Very, big green and white school bus is not exactly I'm, alluring to I, the opposite sex. Yeah. I would say for any regular listeners, I'm feeling a little bit more, uh, free flowing with the verbiage today just cause I'm drinking beer and I'm, I'm uh, that's okay. Sam and I are good friends. We're not, uh, just acquaintances. So it's going to no, go, it's going to go where it been, goes. And you're just going to have to listen to it. Few, yeah. We've been in a few camps together. Yeah. A couple of times been yeah. here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just this, since we already touched on the bus, for f- those who don't know, uh, give us the bus rundown and don't be shy on the details. Okay. Um, so I, so it, it's funny. I was I was thinking about this before we we hopped on the phone, and I was trying to figure out like when the, the bus idea first originated. And I actually remember telling um, the first time you and I met was up in BC mm-hmm. uh, with Rogan, and I remember telling you guys that I was thinking about buying a bus. And that was, what was that, November of 2014? Yeah, almost, yeah, before years ago this fall. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I remember, like, and I think it was, kind of like, that's, like, spring of 2014, the uh, the bus idea had, like, popped into my head. And I was actually, you know, my brother and I had, had talked about, you know, buying a school bus. And, and actually, we had originally talked about doing, like, a 12-state turkey tour in a school bus. So this, you know, like what we talked about earlier kind of segues great, you know, nicely into this, but, um, no, I said, I, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around actually purchasing one. And it was, uh, not this last fall, but the fall before I was kind of coming off a hunting season and you know, I was just, you know, I had a good year and it was, had traveled a bunch and shooting photos and, and hunting for myself. And, and, uh, I, the bus idea just hadn't gone away. And, at that point, I was like, you know, I, I'm turning 30 this year. Um, like the amount of time in my life where I can do something like purchase a full-size school bus and build it out into a camper is it's diminishing quickly. So I finally, I was like, well, I'll just do it. And if I hate it, well, then I know I hate it. But if I don't do it, I'm always going to regret not, you know, pulling the trigger and, yeah. <clears throat> and doing this crazy adventure. And and it was uh, right after I decided to, to find a bus and buy one, um, I actually called you uh, to talk to you about an idea that I had um, with the bus project and actually relating it all to um, public land transfer awareness and trying to get the word out there you know, to as many people as possible about the possibility of losing our public lands. And uh, you and I kind of spitballed back and forth on the phone and like, you know, I got in touch with BHA and have been working with them and have been working with a few other um, companies, you know, outdoor life and those types of, you know, people to, to get the word out there. But yeah, it all originated uh, fall of 2016 and I bought a school bus from Colorado and, and uh, turned it into my rolling hunting camp. Yeah. And how, like um, when you see, when you get is you bought a bluebird, what year was your bluebird school bus? That yeah. You purchased? So, yeah. So uh, some of the specs on it now. So I, I, yeah, it was a 1993 Bluebird, uh, full size. So it's <laughs> full size, <laughs> full size, 65 passenger. Um, and 
I bought it for, so it was listed for 5,500 and I was able to talk the guy down to 3,500. So for 3,500 bucks, I had, at that point I owned, uh, 37 feet long. Um, yeah, so I owned 37 feet of vehicle. <laughs> Dude, right now I'm, I'm, old, I'm on eBay Googling used school buses and this is yes, seeing what's good, out there. Good. <laughs> There's a lot. It's amazing. Uh, Unbelievable. I'm certainly not. I'm not the first person to buy a school bus and turn it into a camper. No, no, you're not. Even not. Close, but I am the first one to do it in the hunting industry and relate it all to public lands. Yes. So I'll take that as like a small credit. Here's a guy that wants um, $13,000 for a, a 24 passenger, like a short bus. Well, what year is it? 2005. Yeah, it's a yeah. newer and one. Is it, is it four-wheel drive? I don't know, man. It doesn't look like <laughs> it doesn't look like something I'd take <laughs> off road. It's not. It's probably just a year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, four-wheel drive short bus? Come on, man. Like, that's another. I know. You should, you should tow that behind the bigger bus. <laughs> for <laughs> <laughs> to deploy an off-road situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get a van, a four-wheel drive van, and build that out. Pull that. <laughs> anyway, continue. You've purchased okay, this yeah. bus. So I purchased the bus. Um, and I bought it in Colorado, and I actually parked it. Uh, my brother owns a hunting shop in, in Fort Collins, and he's got a big lot behind his place. And I bought it, and I parked it there for a while. Because, um, to be honest, I didn't really have... Um, any goal other than getting the bus. And then I was going to figure it out from there. Um, so I bought it and then I went to uh, ATA and shirt show and I had, I talked to a bunch of companies about the project and what I was doing. And, um, and that's where the, uh, like the connection to outdoor life came from. But yeah. it was at this point, it was still just, I owned a school bus and that was it. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, in, in the time between, um, I bought it on new year's Eve, and the time between then and um, April, I was just drawing plans and, you know, thinking of ideas and um, not ashamed to say I did a lot of browsing on Pinterest because apparently everybody else with a school bus puts all of their stuff on Pinterest. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of interior design ideas. Um, and I just kind of, you know, kind of tried to figure out what I wanted it to look like. And then it, at the very end uh, see, I ripped all the seats out in February, um, March, I was traveling for work. And then in April, I drove the bus back to South Dakota. Um, my parents said I could park it at their lake place and do the whole build there. And which worked great for me because I got to live at the lake and wake up and go work on the school bus. But I, um, at the end of, it wasn't until the end of May that I finally painted the ceiling and actually got to work on, on the interior. Um, so I, I painted the ceiling and and then I put down the floor. Let's see, painted the ceiling, put down the floor, and then I put up all of the framework on the walls so then I could put up all of the pine um, on the walls and, and, and bolt everything to the outside so that way it would, wouldn't shift around. But I, yeah, I, I turned it into, I, I took it from yellow school bus with no seats to mobile hunting camp in, uh, I guess, nine weeks. Yeah, so you just went, you just had like a, did you draw a blueprint and then went to Home Depot or did you just kind of go, I mean, you had a layout, right, before you went and bought all the materials? Yeah, yeah, I had a layout. So after, um, so I I painted the ceiling and then I went in there, I went in there with uh, like just blue masking tape and um, kind of the measurements of everything I wanted to put in there. Uh, so it's like the queen bed is in the back. So I put masking tape on the floor where the queen bed was going to sit and then I kind of, 
uh, just roughly like guessed like how much space I would want between that bed and like the bunk beds, you know, and then I masked off the bunk beds where those were going to sit. And then, you know, I just worked my way from the back to the front. Um, and so I've got a queen bed in the back. I've got two sets of bunk beds, um, in front of that. So I can sleep five or six in the bus. Um, and then in front of the bunk beds and the bunk beds all open up for tons of storage, um, which is nice. I, I can keep most of my gear, um, in the bunks, uh, or underneath the queen bed. And then in front of that, uh, I have on the, we'll say on, on the starboard side of the bus, we, I have, uh, like kitchen, uh, kitchen area. So I've got cabinets up top, um, for all of my cooking stuff or like all, you know, spices and oil, and like, uh, anything I would need to cook a meal. And then I've got a kitchen countertop that I've made out of old, uh, barn wood. And then I epoxied it. And I built uh, built a cabinet that houses both my battery system and then storage for my um, stove and pots and pans and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, on the same side, I've got a little desk where I do all of my photo editing, video editing. And then on the opposite side, in front of the bunks, I've got a little room that was uh, intended to be a bathroom. And I bought a portable toilet for it, but I have yet to use it. I just it turned into a just kind of like a little storage closet and. Uh, hang a bunch of clothes in there and stuff. And most of the time I just use great mother nature for any <laughs> outdoor facility needs. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then I've got a little space for my propane fireplace uh, in front of that and then a couch. And yeah, that the inside is great for just like, if it's just me, it's, it's a ton of room and um, it's a great living space. And then it, Anytime I've got more people, I had a custom, I, I custom built the framework, but then had the, the uh, canvas sewed for it. I have a 10 by 20 enclosed awning that sits next to the bus. So all in total, I have um, a little over 400 square feet of space when I have camp set up. Man. Yeah. That's, I don't know that how in the, if I'm, I have any ingenuity in my body, but I'd probably not enough to pull that off in the time that you did. <laughs> And that I'm hoping was, you saved uh, all the Insta story material from those. Oh yeah, from those deals because yeah. that no, was bad. Yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of uh, got a lot of content um, just saved on the computer and the phone. Are but, they saved on Instagram? You know, now you can save Instagram stories to your feed or to your page. Can people go and look at that the build out on your on your Instagram? Uh, so not right now. I could actually go back. Um, I could go back and add a bunch of stuff, but I'm uh, uh, during what I'm going to do is during this turkey tour or like this turkey hunt I'm doing the next couple of weeks, um, I'm going to completely set up camp, like everything. And then I'm going to do a full walkthrough tour oh, of nice. kind of my, yeah, my entire design and, and what's in there. And then once I get that video out, I'm going to let it sit for a while. And then I'm going to try to do it like a live Instagram feed where I can, people can, that have watched the video can ask questions about any part of it that they want. And so your, your general uh, advice to folks would be that you need, some ingenuity, a school bus, and a, a ton of time, and you can do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, luckily for me, I, you know, unless I'm on a photo trip, I don't have, you know, there's not all that much going on in between in between trips. And so I was able to, you know, I'd wake up at whatever, 7 a.m. and make a pot of coffee and send a couple emails if I needed to, and then I'd walk outside of the bus and get my all my table saw and skill saw and miter saw set up and my air compressor for my nail gun and just work until it was dark. Yeah. So, 
That's a... I, can't even, I, can't, I don't even <laughs> want to add up I, I, how many hours, like two things, like how many hours I spent inside of it just building it, and then how many times I walked in and out of it, like just, you know, go in, measure one thing, go out, cut a board, go back in. Like, it was just, <laughs> I mean, 10,000 times in two months. <laughs> I think the more, like the more interesting part of it is how you have come to have that free time, right? Because there's oh, a lot yeah. of people that are listening to this on their way to work or at work or yep. in yep. a cubicle. Yep. And they would love, and most people would love to have the freedom that you have, right? Yeah. Because it, just tell folks what your your job is currently and kind of what, what that entails. So, yeah, so I, I guess my title would just be uh, professional photographer in the hunting industry. Um. I don't know if that's yeah. I mean, yeah, I do works. a lot of a lot of things, but yeah, that's that's probably like as general as I can as I can get. Um, but yeah, I started. I mean, it took me a long time for sure to get where I'm at. But um, I jokingly I tell people I retired out of college basically. Um, but I my first job in the industry was I worked. Um, I was a, a camera op and um, video producer for Midwest Whitetail. I was finishing up my uh, master's of business at North Dakota State, um, but I, all I had was an online class left, and so I took an internship with Midwest Whitetail and moved to Elbia and spent, oh, roughly six months um, in Elbia and uh, was either hunting or filming twice a day and uh, producing videos. I was producing the Michigan and uh, Minnesota like weekly web shows and then I was filming for the main show for Midwest Whitetail and uh, it really picked up a lot of my, you know, video education from, from all the guys that I was working with down there. And then that transition, and I, I moved to Colorado after that and I was helping manage, um, like I said before, my brother owns a backcountry hunting store, but I was helping manage that. Um, it's called Gannett Ridge and I was producing video content for, for that shop. And then I moved to Montana as a sales rep, actually. I, um, took a job through uh, the, the owner of a rep agency who sold to my brother and uh, moved to Montana. But shortly after that, I had an opportunity to move to Alaska and film a couple different uh, national TV shows for the, the weather channel and the, uh, the history channel um, coast guard, Alaska, and then the hunt for the history channel. And I jumped on that and moved to Kodiak for about five months. So, and then from that, it's just, you know, from there, it's just been all networking stuff. So, you know, meet one person on one show and then that led to history channel. And then that led to me meeting, uh, Chris Ellis, who, you know, pretty well. Oh yeah. And yeah. And, and Chris is a PR guy for in the industry and he hired me to do my first professional photo shoot, um, for Remington. And then through all of those events so you know, I met, it was actually a Remington event where I met Mike Scobie, who then forwarded you my portfolio and then got hired to go up to BC. So it's, um, I became a photographer, you know, I, I feel like I have a pretty good eye for photography, but I, I think I became successful in what I do because of just networking as much as possible and just meeting, you know, yeah. as many people as I could on every single trip. Yeah. I think that's, I'm sure that's a huge part of it. I mean, but there's some innate need not to sit at a desk that I think drives people to oh, yeah. find, yeah. I, I'm sure you found like what, what's the what's the thing that's going to get me 
free or keep me free. And if it was networking, sure, yeah. that would have been it. Yeah, if it, that yeah. was it. Or if it's no, like, I, I, think, I need to be talented in these areas. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think forever, you know, growing up, I think I was, I was never destined to be a, you know, at a quote unquote normal job. Um, I, I always wanted to, you know, be in the outdoors and, um, a long time had a dream to be doing something in the hunting industry. And I think the, the further I went down the path that I'm on, uh, the more I realized how I, how much I didn't want to be like in a building every day. And, um, fortunately for me, I just, you know, was, was able to keep that going and, and work my ass off to where I am now. So, yeah. um, but I can't, I mean, after doing it for so long and, you know, and having the type of flexibility that I do, you know, and, and, uh, it, it'd be, I can hardly imagine, you know, trying to work for a company or work for whoever, you know, and where I clock in at whatever, 7am and clock out of five or whatever it might be. It, that would be really tough for me. You know, or it might be really good for about six months, and then I would be cooped up and itching to go. So right yeah. now, it only takes me about three days before I'm ready to move on to the next adventure. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah. I am tortured by yeah. that that balance, yep. as they call yep. work life balance, but I just call it like yep. life balance. You know, work is yep. work is what you do that interrupts your life for yeah. sure. Well, I think you know. I think, it, as cliche as it sounds, I mean, we only get one shot at this whole thing. So I, you know, a long time ago, I decided like, I mean, why, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my, not that, you know, working is wasting your life, but I just wanted to do as many things as I could possibly fit in. Like I want to just be completely wore out at the end of my run. Yeah. And, uh, I knew that working a normal job for me personally was not going to get me there. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash eater, but you got to use the promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. 
They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? You need a brake light fixed? You need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Yeah, I mean, that's good. I mean, the good advice for people that are in that situation or who are are realizing that, that their path maybe took them in the wrong direction, where your path, I think, took you in the right direction for you. Yeah. Is yeah. that, you know, it, it, you can always change that. I mean, there isn't, you. Yeah. there was no template for you. Like Nobody laid no. out like, hey, Sam, if you if you go on this moose hunt with Ben and Joe Rogan and and take some photos, next thing you know, You'll have a yeah. career, no. or no. hey, if you you want to shoot some Remington photos for some of some guns at a at a media event, yeah. That next thing you know, you'll be hanging out with Joe Rogan. Like if you reversed right. the steps that led you to where yeah. you are, you wouldn't at each step you wouldn't believe the other, and that's how I am too. No, not a chance. <laughs> yeah, you you wouldn't when you were in that Remington shoot. Somebody said, hey, the next thing you're gonna do is take photos of Joe Rogan for a Peterson's hunting cover. In British Columbia on a moose hunt, you'd be like, "Shut up, dude! There, no way, you're high." <laughs> yep, never would have believed it. Absolutely. Well, we should probably talk yeah. about that that hunt because you just posted. Um, yeah, this was, week uh, was yeah, I post yeah a couple of days ago. It was the three year anniversary of when I saw it hit the shelf for the first time. Yeah, so, so this I is was, uh, yeah, I was actually. It was, uh, I was actually in Arizona, uh, leading a Remington new product seminar media event. <laughs> and, um, yeah, got into the airport and there it was sitting on the shelf. So this was um, the whole backstory on this. We kind of touched on a lot of it because yep. I think it just, it just is kind of the thread that pulls at that your and I's relationship just because it was such a great beyond just what it was like the, the time spent together was so good. That uh, I was my position at the time. This would have been, you know, like I said, 2014. I was a managing editor at Peterson Hunting Magazine, and we were we had done one issue the year prior that was we called it the Meat Eater edition of Peterson Hunting, and it was a giant yep. piece of bloody meat. April it would have yep. been April 2013. A giant piece of bloody meat on the end of a knife, and there was. It was uh, widely acclaimed and widely criticized, that cover. Yep. Which, you know, which is a good thing. Yeah, which... That's, which, I mean, that's what you're going for. Yeah, which turns out is a good thing, right? You know, you, and yep. in, in that conversation, Stephen Ranella 
was a, a big part of that article and he said to me hey man I actually I, I asked him who else is is do you think is just hunting for the meat or people that you know that are kind of new to hunting and are picking it up just for meat and he said Joe Rogan and I said the guy from Fear Factor are you sure <laughs> You're t- we're talking about the same guy uh he's like yeah 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 man I took him hunting you know, a few months ago, and uh, his first time hunting, but he just cares about the meat. That's all he wants to do. I was like, "Well, yeah. I better call that guy and get it, get the load down from him." So I ended up calling him. We talked for a couple hours, and he got like a sidebar in that April 2013 uh, feature article that included Ranella. Yeah. But then when we were thinking about like, what's the April 2014 meat eater? Because we wanted it to be an annual thing. What's the April 2014? cover going to be my first thought was like it's got to be rogan just for who he is and through that time i'd got to know him a little bit better yeah. and so then we decided we were going to go moose hunting because joe said that's the most possible meat he could get is from a moose and i agreed we found an outfitter who was mike hawkridge who's up in quinnell british columbia and then we were at the last minute like man we need obviously need a photographer a bunch of people weren't able to do it um and and Scoby came by. I was like, man, I met this young guy, this this guy Sam at this Remington Writers event. And he's super talented, and he'll go with you, I promise, and he'll do a great job. And so I think, I don't know if I called you or emailed you. The next thing you know, yeah, you were think, signed uh, up to come, right? Yeah, I think I got an email, and then uh, you and Scoby both called me because we had like a little conference call. And uh, yeah, I was basically like, hey, can you be in D.C. from – November second through the ninth, and I don't. I don't think you even finished the sentence. I was like, "Yep, I'll be there." <laughs> yep, sounds good. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, most uh, most hunters, when you say come to British Columbia in November, they're like, "Yeah, I can do." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can do that. Yep. Yep, I can make that happen. Yeah. So then we we went up there. The first time I met you. First time I met Joe in person. Um, first time I met Mike Hawkridge in person. And next thing you know, we're rolling around in a beat up pickup truck, chasing glass and cut blocks for uh moose and laughing our ass off and that was one of the few times where you you literally m- meet people for the first time and the next thing you know you're having the time of your life with them whether you were hunting or not yeah i don't think it would have mattered no it wouldn't have. yeah that was that was a great trip and there's uh you know i get to go on a lot of different trips and the, the uh the feeling you know like in the truck in the camp is not always just that easy um so that was yeah that was pretty cool yeah, so then we... And it, ended, and it ended up being a hell of a successful trip. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, we, we, you know, like, it's not the it's not the middle of the rut, so we're not, you know, calling in bulls from half mile away or whatever, but it was, uh, you know, we just spent a lot of time going to, you know, different places and finding, you know, finding any moose we possibly could, and I think the, you know, still one of my favorite memories on any hunt was when we spotted Joe's moose, and... Mike was like, not very big. Rogan's like, I don't care. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and then he shoots a moose and then we uh you know, the next day we uh you know, after we got the meat all cleaned up and everything, we took that photo and and then the next day we go out and you shoot a moose and the next thing we know is Rogan just sprinting down the road. Oh yeah. And I have a you know, I still have that photo of him. <laughs> you can see the, the moose like, you know, like just like in the background, Joe's just running. 
Yeah, just run. <laughs> well, and that was a whole, like, so I, I'm looking at the cover now. I got my years wrong. The first cover was April 14. The second cover was April 15. These April things 15. happen. Yeah. Yeah, these things happen yeah. different years, obviously. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I remember, like, I look at the cover now. So if you look at the April-May 2015 cover uh, of Peterson's Hunting, I'm sure you could just Google Joe Rogan, Peterson's Hunting. You'll see it. Yeah. Uh, it says, eat what you kill down the left side. Joe Rogan celebrates the wild meat movement. It has a bunch of other blurbs and stuff around it. But it's just a picture of Joe holding a giant moose quarter for yep. just, I mean, there really is no reason he'd be holding it like that other than to just show people this is this is it, right. bitches. Like, yep. This is what, yep. what we do. And I remember <laughs> we shot a bunch, we had a bunch of ideas for how to shoot the cover, and we, we tried those, and they just didn't quite work. And yep. this, the the cover of him holding the moose quarter was a kind of an afterthought. And we were standing yeah. in this weird, like, kind of dead field with not a whole lot going on. Yeah, it was almost just like a little, you know, whatever, an acre of pasture land. Yeah. And he had enough, you know, there was enough of a rise where he was standing on the top of the rise and I was able to get low enough to get, you know, a little bit more clear sky or gray sky in the background. And, and uh, yeah, I'm... Yeah, because we, we I don't know how many different types of photos we shot. It was a lot. Um but I'm 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 happy with the one that they ended up picking. Yeah, I remember in, in with the art director I sat and he picked that photo and I, and once I saw it in the cover I thought, Holy shit, that's gonna be good. <laughs> like when, yeah. when I <laughs> yeah. saw it. And I and the other thing I remember is that Joe was bitching the whole time because he didn't want to do it because he wanted to go hunt. No. He he wanted me to get yeah, a moose. Right, like you still had a, an uncut tag, and so he was just chomping at the bit, you know. And I mean, we didn't we didn't spend an overly long amount of time, you know. Like it was a few hours that we were, you know, playing with different ideas and shooting stuff and sending it off, or whatever. But it, the whole time he was just like reeling at it. Every time he had to, you know, pick something up, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> every, he was just, you know, basically just white knuckling at one to be out there chasing animals and not dealing with what he what we were doing <laughs> i think later he trusted us though like once he saw oh yeah it, i think he was like oh okay i get it but yeah so we we shot yeah. this thing and jumped in the truck and we're driving out to a cut block where he'd seen a bull in the the days prior to that and come or well, i'm driving on the road and two big bulls run across a big for that area run across the road so we park the truck yep. get out I jump out. I'm shooting a Blazer R8 straight pull action <laughs> rifle. I jump out, get in the bar ditch, get up on the side. These moose run around this corner, and I shoot them. I just start wailing away. I mean, it's the last day or second to last day of the hunt, and we have we've yep. hiked and we've classed, and like we haven't seen a moose anywhere near the size of either one of these bulls. So I'm up in this little area above the bar ditch, and I shoot, hit it, shoot, hit the bull. He's stumbling around. And I go to reload, and he's dead at this point on his feet. And I go to reload, yeah. and Rogan has already started running down the road <laughs> towards this bull who's stumbling back and falling all around. <laughs> By the time I get the gun back, reloaded and back to my shoulder, he's halfway to the animal, and it's just now falling <laughs> over and dying. And I, <laughs> And what did he say, like, what did he say afterwards? I just wanted to be there when it died, or I wanted to see it die, or I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, I don't know. Like the next thing I know, I'm just running. I'm he, halfway there. He went full force gump on us, didn't he? He just started yeah. running. Yeah, no reason. <laughs> so we have that photo. Of course, you have that photo, and um, yeah. And then we have 
we have that photo and then we have the cover photo. But I think just yep. that hunt, I mean, afterwards we cut that bull up, took it back to camp, took care of it. And then we, we went to, uh, to down in several bottles of what was it? Spice box rum. Oh, spice box. Oh God. Spice box oh. rum. Yeah. What a terrible, oh, what I'm a hungover terrible. just thinking about it. Yeah. No, I'm starting to gag a little bit. I'm just thinking about spice box rum. Now the makers, if anybody here works at the spice box rum factory that's listening to this, it's a fine product. It's just you can't drink, oh. you can't drink two liters of it and expect to be all right. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, it's a spicy you rum. You know, you you can't sit there and tell stories about the hunt and uh, and keep you know drinking glass after glass for several hours. Well, we ate, we ate. Uh, yeah, Joe was grilling up moose liver and moose heart. Yep. And we were over there taking shots and partying with, with our guide, Mike Hockridge, and having a fun party and um, just kind of got out of hand a little bit, and we had a good time, though. Yeah. And then uh, during, like, while we were eating and cooking and drinking Spice Box, there was a UFC event going on, and Joe pulled it up and streamed it, and he was basically commentating for all of us sitting at the table. <laughs> and didn't the roadkill beaver show up at some point yes yes it did yeah i see? completely forgot about that i have yeah. a photo of yeah. you and hawkers and a beaver and I don't... <laughs> <laughs> these are the things that happen yeah. in the haze of spikes yep. box rum like this was kind of yep. the next thing you know a beaver shows up there's nothing you can do about <laughs> it yeah mike just came through the door with like a I mean, that thing was giant. Yeah, one of his buddies had sh- has killed a giant beaver, Ro- a roadkill beaver. Found a beaver on the side of the road, and they just brought it in. Yeah, yeah. And we uh, <laughs> they were cutting it up to eat it, and we took some pictures with it, uh, which was totally respectful. I thought of the animal in its in its yeah. life. <laughs> you know, I think uh, we were in Canada, though. You know, like it, it's never failed. I've, there's always some weird stuff that happens. Yeah. Canada's a lovely country, but there's well, always going to be something strange. Yeah, I love there's no doubt. Love you, Canada, yeah. but yeah, sometimes you're <laughs> messed up. Well, yep, nothing you can do. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think everybody has a hunt like that. I think probably in their life, you know that that you yeah, didn't know what to expect, and then it was it was something where even now, uh, when that image pops up, I don't really think about that cover and what people said about it later or any of the reaction to it. I just think about the time we spent in camp and what that, what that kind of meant for me. And I, you know, I also think that Joe during that hunt and you were there and you were kind of in on the conversation. Joe was like, you should start a podcast, Ben. And I was like, yeah, I was like, listen, Rogan, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) It's 2014. (laughs) Nobody podcasts. Like what am I yeah. going to talk about for hours on end on a, on a podcast? And he said, "You should do it, man. I, I I'll I'll help you out." And I was all fired yep. up. I think I even called my dad and said, "I'm doing a podcast." And then I just got back to the real world and let it go. Well, I think what what happened was uh, we got back, and then it was not that long after that that you accepted a job with what you're doing now. Yeah, that you're true. And so yeah. The, yeah, so I mean, it just kind of like I put on the back burner just from moving on in other ways yeah that's true yeah it was it was yeah Yeah. maybe say three or four months after that then i met you at uh 
at SHOT Show. And I was like, dude, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm taking a new gig at Yeti. And you were like, well, shit, man, yeah. I'm taking a gig at Yeti too. Like, oh, yep. <laughs> that'll work. Yep. So we both got hired by Yeti. <laughs> we did. Yep. Uh, yep. Here we are. But yeah, I mean, that, yep. that hunt, I think, changed a lot about the way I thought of things. I think it was the first time I, I realized that there could be an elevation in the conversation past our bubble. Because even yep. with you, as young as we both were at the time and still are, you kind of get into the industry bubble and you have your conversation and you feel like that's what it's always going to be. And then you meet somebody like Joe Rogan and you elevate the conversation with a, with a cover like that and the image like that. And next thing you know, you realize, man, we could talk to a lot more people. We could, we could take this message and, and spread it a lot further than it's currently going and so i think i don't know about you but for me that was the first time i realized what what it could be no and i think in addition to that like i mean if you if you're talking about like just eating the animals that you you know that you go out and, and shoot um you know like growing up you know we always ate whatever we you know we did a lot of bird hunting when i was younger so we ate a lot of pheasant and turned a lot of ducks into jerky and ate deer when we shot deer and you know it was always all you know, really good and tasty or whatever, but it, it, uh, it didn't, it never seemed like something out of the ordinary because that's just what, what you did, you know? And then, and once you, st- once you look beyond that, you know, like seeing it through the lens of that cover and like the controversy that it stirred up and, and the, you know, allowing people to talk more about, you know, um, basically knowing where your food comes from and, and controlling the consumption of your meat and that type of thing. It, uh, it allows you to open your mind about what hunting means to society as a whole. And then to me, it's personally, it actually made me appreciate wild game meat way more than I ever had. Yeah. And what that, you know, like what that means to me in relation to everybody else. Yeah. And I, I think that was probably the first time that I really, uh, man, was able to drill down to, to how I wanted to go forward. You know, how I wanted yeah. to talk to people about hunting. Uh, seeing Joe, you know, Joe shot, the bull he shot was a forked horned, forked antlered, uh, young moose. I mean, he was a young bull. Yeah. And he shot it off the, yep. you know, shot it just in the bar ditch off the road, much like I did. And so, you yep. know, if you were, if I were to fast forward four years and say, what's that, the hunting purity score of that hunt? I'd be like, oh man, when, when it came down to, came down to the actual hunting it wasn't all that all that great um it was a rough time of year the weather was weird but when you if you take that away and be like we just got each of us got 200 pounds of meat more probably than that and uh, i know i remember hawkers driving that meat down over the border into la to deliver it to rogan and um you and, and i remember how excited he was to shoot this fork antlered you know moose and what it meant to him to cut it up and it was like wow okay here's somebody who's 40 yeah. some 45 years old never hunted before and doesn't give two shits whether it's a fork and antler or it's a 70 inch moose and i don't know if that was the first yeah. time i've been around somebody like that but it was the first time i was impacted that that's uh seriously by that idea yeah no i would <clears throat> i would definitely agree with that i mean because you and i both grew up in hunting families and so, 
when you're breaking down an animal, it's like, it's not this brand new experience. Um, really. I mean, like when you're a kid, it's a new experience, but your dad or your older brother, or your uncle or whoever takes you out hunting, like has done it however many times. And so, it, you know, they don't make like a big deal out of it, but to watch somebody who, you know, got to from start to finish, you know, shot the animal, skin the animal, cut it apart. Like, you know, and Mike was kind of walking through it, like the different, you know, sections to start cutting out. I mean, it was, yeah, it was really cool to, to be part of that whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it changes you a little bit. That, that changed me. I don't know. I wrote, even this week when you posted that, hey, it's been whatever three, four years since that happened. I was like, man, I look back at that now, and I'm like, I'm glad it happened the way it did. I yeah. Could have never guessed yeah. that that would have been how it would have all went down, but it sure did, and I'm glad it did. That's for yeah. Sure. Oh. Yeah. I wanted to. Uh, I, I was at. I, go ahead. I'll go ahead. Yeah. No, no I, was, I was saying I was at, on that trip. I was starting <laughs> to get a little bit nervous because it was getting later in the week before we ended up knocking the first moose down. And, uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm glad it all panned out the way it ended up panning out. Yeah, no, it did. And then yeah. I will, uh, I've got that, the room I'm sitting in now here with the bar, I'm, I've got that cover hanging on the wall. So it's something that I personally think means a lot and hopefully it meant a lot to the, I, you know, I certainly got a lot of compliments at the time, even more so later as, as time has gone on. But, um, yeah, I think it's seminal in the way that I see things. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, 
and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. The other yep. thing uh, I wrote down that I want to talk to you about, because I think maybe you'll have some similar experiences to me or we'll be able to share some stuff, is when, public lands has been a big part of what you've been doing recently, right, with the bus yep. and just, just how you grew up and, and big part of who you are. When What was the first time you realized what public lands were, like what they meant to the country, what they mean to you as a hunter? What was the first time you feel like you really had true perspective on public lands? You know, I mean, slightly embarrassingly, like I probably didn't think about it enough until uh, until there was a possibility of them be like losing them. Um, you know, I mean, it was always something that was just there, and so I think it's it's definitely something that I took for granted. Um, you know, I mean, growing up in South Dakota, there's definitely a, some public land, but it's nothing compared to the West. Uh, I think you know, once I once I moved west, you know, and I'm a Montana resident now. I think it definitely opened my eyes to, you know, you look at the, you know, you look at the Atlas or the map or Onyx maps or whatever it might be. And, um, whereas back home it was, you know, you've got whatever, maybe a, a half section or a, or a full section of, of public in different spots. Um, whereas, you know, in Montana, you've got however many millions of acres and when you can park at one trailhead and you can just like, all right, I don't need to look at the map anymore unless I need to know, figure out where I'm going. Like, I just know I'm going to be on public land. I think that was definitely a, an eye-opening experience. You know, the fact that you can not only walk to that ridge, but you can walk to the ridge after that and the ridge after that and the ridge after that. Yeah. And you just, you know, continue chasing animals um, as far as your legs will carry you. Um, but it, it, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't until it was part of the, the platform to possibly transfer lands to the states which for a lot of people out there that might not know is um is a cute way to package it up um and sell it to the general public but uh as we've seen through history a lot of the states that are given you know land and it's managed by the states a lot of times that ends up getting sold off and uh so I think once I saw the possibility of, you know, stuff being transferred or stuff being sold or, you know, like land swaps and different stuff, I think it, uh, it really opened my eyes to the, the opportunity that I've had in my lifetime to, uh, you know, spend and have experiences that have molded me into the person I am. Um, to have something like that go away for future generations was, you know, kind of hit me pretty hard. Yeah, for sure. And I think... That was uh, it was my exact same experience because I and I that was my guessing of what your answer would be. So I think a lot of people. I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland and we hunted Green Ridge State Forest like it was our backyard. 
And we never, I, my mm-hmm. dad never said, hey, son, do you realize what we're doing right now? you realize what this land is? you realize what who who it belongs to and why it's important? It was just never, much like everything growing up, it was just never a topic because it was the thing that you did. And there was never any need yeah. to explain it because it wasn't in peril. And there wasn't, there wasn't right. like, hey, you need to know this because you might lose it. It was, this is ours. It will always be ours. And this experience will be in perpetuity. And then when you start to get a little bit older and you see that maybe that's not the case, uh, you start to want to learn and defend the thing that you grew up with as a reality of your life and just a, something that was always there for you, something that you probably needed and didn't even know you needed at some level. Yeah. And so yeah. you so you learn a little bit more about public lands probably through osmosis, but also probably because it was important to you. Why yep. why does then the the you you know flip the switch to activism as you have? Well, I I don't know. I just um it you know I growing up you know I was a Ducks Unlimited member and I was a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation member and you know different conservation organizations. But it was you know all of that and there's nothing wrong with this, but all of that was more so about like. You get the magazine and you go to the banquets and you you know you hang out with other people that hunt and that kind of thing. But I I never you know volunteered for a creek cleanup or a nesting site cleanup or a fence removal or you know whatever that was. And so I think there was probably a little bit of guilt there where I have been growing up in a in a country where I can go out and hunt and hunt and hunt and I was never doing anything to give back. And so. I think as the sportsman in me, like I just looked at, you know, the voice, the, even the, being a small voice that I have um, in the hunting industry. And I, I just thought it felt like it was my duty as a sportsman to try to do what I can personally to protect that for future, ge- future generations. And so it was, uh, you know, once that switch flipped, it was hundred percent go time. And I was like, all right, I guess it's time to just, talk about this and tell as many people and get involved and raise money and, um, you know, do whatever, do my part to, you know, have this be something that is an opportunity for anybody, not just people who are hunting now, but someone who might want to get into it. Or, you know, if I have kids, my kids and their kids, and, you know, it's just, it'd be hard for me to live in a country where people can't grow up and have the same opportunity that I have right now. It's just a, it's a, for sure. You know, it's a, it's good for the soul. I don't know what else there is to say about it. I think without those wild places, there's no release. Um, and I think we, you know, we start to change as a, as a society. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I live in a country called Texas and, yeah. uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it doesn't have the same, uh, doesn't have the same freedoms as, the West has, I mean, there's in, in yep. man, before this, I lived in Illinois and it's the same way. So it's not, it's not exclusive to Texas. I think our, right. our idea of public lands and, and the freedom to explore is, is decidedly a Western idea. And that's probably, it's yep. for a lot of reasons, one, but mostly because a lot of that land is wilderness and a lot of that land can't be turned into a profit center. Unlike yep. Texas or Illinois might be able to with farmland and, and um extraction so yeah i think that idea is kind of permeated in me and been been instilled in me over the last three or four years maybe maybe five years to the point where you know i went from a 25 year old person who 
love to hunt and enjoy, as you said, the same kind of banquet idea, an idea that my tag money went back to conservation to a person who's now early 30s who feels like there's a mission at hand. And if we don't all serve that mission, then 10, 10, 20 years from now, we'll be sitting around wishing we did. Right. You feel feel like there's a generation gap there? My dad definitely always says to me, he says, he's proud of our generation for stepping up as we have uh, because there's a need to step up. And I don't know that, that the previous generation felt that need and maybe there wasn't as pressing an well, uh, environment. Yeah, I don't think it was as pressing for, you know, like our father's generation, simply because the generation before them had put into, you know, the Pittman-Robertson Act, and then uh, I never remember what it's called on the fishing side. Dingle Johnson. Um, but a similar, though, what is it? Dingle Johnson, which makes me giggle. Dingle Johnson. I'm a yeah. child. Which is a fairly unfortunate name. But, yes. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, the the previous generation had enacted both of those bills where, you know, it was, uh, it was a huge stepping stone to, you know, to, to bring back the funding to conservation. And I think because, like, our father's generation was so huge, um, you know, in, in hunting and fishing, I mean, there were so many of them doing it that I think, like, their contribution simply from hunting licenses, fishing licenses, uh, conservation banquets, that type of thing is, is way bigger than anything that our generation is doing now because there are, you know, there's the baby boomer generation is 10 years from being done hunting. And the, you know, that's 30% of the current license holders. And there's, there's nobody that's coming up to fill that gap. So I think it's our generation needs to do more. Um, Mm -hmm. buying a hunting license is not enough. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Like I think anybody who has a hunter safety card, even if you're not going to hunt, should go out and buy a hunting license every year because it's a contribution to conservation and managing herds and managing land and that type of thing. But no, I think our generation definitely sees the need to take action and not just go hunt because it's not enough. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hunting really peaked in the early eighties and you looked at like, when it really started to rise, it was it was post World War One, post World War Two, and when a lot of people were coming back from the war and they had idle time, and technologies were starting to advance that allowed them to get further out into the wilderness and allow them to, you know, re- even in the turn of the century, you talk about refrigeration and railways and just easier ways for people to get out and experience hunting and then come back and enjoy the meat and just enjoy the experience. And that, I mean, I think that is where modern sport hunting came to be because you know people have hunted on this continent for many hundreds of years uh, as long as we've been on it there's been hunting but modern sport hunting right in the came to its peak in the early 80s as a part of our dad's generation right i mean that there was 1982 something like 17 or 18 million people purchased license um or were 17 or 18 million hunters or something like that and that's kind yep. of the peak. And I think that was the peak of our, you know, around the time we would have been born, but also around the time when our our fathers were in their prime. So, yeah, shit, man. They were yep. part of the prime um, in the history of modern sport hunting in the whatever, you know, 80, 90 years that it's been around. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that to me, though, is it was the prime for number of hunters, 
but it was nowhere close to the prime as far as number of species go, like as mm. like population numbers. Yeah. I mean, I grew up waterfowl hunting and, um, like the waterfowl numbers are the best they've ever been. And there's, you know, like there's a less than half of the number of hunters there are that, that there were in like the late 1970s. And there's like triple the birds or whatever the number is. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of crazy math. It's, it's been a strange shift, you know, away from, uh, you know, people going away from hunting. And I think it's hunting isn't easy. It's not a, you know, it's not a, in a society, you know, in an age where instant gratification is, you know, something that a lot of people seek, uh, hunting is not that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I always describe it very much <laughs> as like the, the idea of, I'd like to go hunting and actually going hunting and being proficient is like walking a tightrope across the Grand Canyon. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no way to separate the idea from the reality and how far it is from, from just somebody who may listen to this or who may just think independently from this, I'd love to go hunting and then trying to find, um, that access, that skill, the, you know, to, to process all the ideas that go with killing another living thing and, and then going back and doing it again and again and again. I mean, all those things are, are tough to do. And I think our, our generation, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever gets to do them in the public eye because we choose to through social media, right? Um, yeah, through media, and you and I yeah. are in a business where we both profit off of hunting in a lot of different yep. ways, and uh, that's just changed things. Yeah, you know, and and kind of touching, like adding to that, I think one thing we've done bad as an industry as a whole, um, you know, we don't have, we need a PR agent. The industry mm-hmm. does, but. One thing we've, I think we've done a bad job of is we, we put so much emphasis on, you know, white-tailed deer hunting and elk hunting and mule deer hunting and chasing all of these incredibly hard to hunt big game species. Whereas like our fathers would have, yeah, they deer hunt, but they also rabbit hunt and they pheasant hunt and they duck hunt and they squirrel hunt and they, you know, they do a lot of other types of hunting and small game hunting where people now say they're thinking about getting into the sport and the person that they look up to say is Joe Rogan. Right. Mm-hmm. And like Joe Rogan got them into hunting and then they go out and buy all the gear and then they go out in the mountains and they get their asses absolutely kicked. And then they never go out again. Yeah. Instead of starting with pheasant hunting or duck hunting or whatever. And you, you know, you start with small game and you go out and you, you enjoy simply enjoy the experience and you might shoot a bird or two or a rabbit or two. And it's, it's, it's all about everything else, you know, instead of focusing on a big game animal, I think, I think that's made it really hard for people to get into it. Yeah. Glorifying the the the, ultimate achievement, right? I mean, killing a bull elk with a bow, it should be the ultimate thing. I mean, that should be something you work towards for your entire life. Not something you walk on the mountain and do in a weekend. No. Yeah. And if, if, if you've never hunted before and you go out and you buy a bow and all the clothing, or whatever, and you drive out to Montana and you walk into the mountains, like it is, it's going to be mentally challenging. And then when you don't shoot something, you're like, I just spent almost a thousand dollars on a tag. I spent 2,500 on clothing and a bow and all the stuff and fuel out here and all that, you know, I dropped 10 grand to get into this and then I didn't succeed yeah. in if, you know, if success is killing an animal for that you know, person's mentality, but, 
Oh, it almost has to be, especially if you start pushing like we've done in the past. Like meat is the meat is the goal, then well, of course, killing something is the goal because that's the only way that right. happens. Right. There is no other way. Right. I met a guy um, yeah. two couple of days ago in here in Austin, and if you don't mind, I'm gonna read. I'm pulling it up now as we were talking about this. This guy sent an email in to me through uh, the huntingcollective.com. I had listened to the podcast a few times. Sent an email in, and then I actually got to meet him a couple days ago. But this guy's name was Daniel Porter. And he wrote and he said, Ben, I'm not a hunter yet. I grew up in a fairly liberal household in Washington, D.C. Not only was I not connected with the hunting industry in any way, but in the middle of a concrete jungle, there's very little opportunity to do so in any way. And I also did not want to express my interest out of fear that I would be judged by my interest in guns. A year ago, I started listening to Joe Rogan. Through that podcast, I became familiar with John Dudley, Cam Haynes, Remy Warren, Steve Rinella, and a host of other individuals and companies that promote hunting. And then I heard you on the Gritty Bowman podcast, and it opened my eyes. Here was a guy with a simple yet complex philosophy that I had been waiting for. The thought of killing an animal still bothers me, and I'm a 44-year-old man. However, the idea that I could love animals, still take one's life, never occurred to me until I listened to what you and others had to say. It is a dichotomy that is truly, truly confusing and yet one that I am desperately wishing to be immersed in. I have a 12-year-old son and I very much want him to be involved in hunting and to be aware of the history and how he got here in the first place as a species. We're going to go javelina hunting later this year so that we can both experience this together for the first time. And he goes on to say a bunch of other stuff. Um, and I got to meet that guy, Daniel Porter, the other day, and we sat and talked for a long time, and he had um, even the, what you were just saying, Sam, like, isn't that guy the archetype of what we were just talking about? I mean, listens to Joe Rogan, picks it up, yeah. wants to do it, and now has this great challenge of how the hell do I pull this off? Right. So he, yeah. we, we talked about his biggest problem in Texas, living in Austin, Texas, was access. So him and I talked through that for about an hour, and I kind of gave him a bunch of ideas what access could be, and then have emailed with him and give him some ideas about where he might be able to go, but, but he's trying to walk across that tightrope that is the Grand Canyon to get to the other side, um, which I find super interesting. I hope to follow this, follow Daniel and see how he gets, gets it done, because it's not easy. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's honestly, that's like a, a mini documentary in itself is following someone, you know, of that age who has never done it before. And, uh, you know, and followed their journey, like into the sport. Mm. I think that would be super interesting to a lot of people who, you know, may be on the fence about how they feel about hunting in general. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we, we know now as we start to do studies and look around as with that, the baby boomer population that you mentioned, we know now that recruitment among, or retention more, retention among young hunters who are introduced at an early age is much less effective than it is if somebody starts in their 30s now. Because yeah. Yeah. they start they start just like you and I did with very little understanding of like the, the overall impact culturally in, in, in our society. Then they get, they turn 18 and they get a girlfriend and they go to college and they forget about hunting. And a lot of them never go back to it. But if somebody starts in their 30s, when they have a child who they want to show, um, and they learn about it, it sticks because they they're already they're 
able to have the finances and the mental capacity to handle the damn thing and do it. Yep. Yep. So then the real trick is how do we reach those people and how do we, you know, cultivate that and get more of those people involved? Yeah. Shit, I that, don't know. That's if anybody has the answer to that question. <laughs> I have no idea. That's the ticket. But I think right? isn't there yeah. like so if you look at that thirty percent because I'm glad you brought that up. There's a great article. I'm trying to find it now. It's called There it is. Why we suck at recruiting new hunters. Why it matters and how we can fix it. It was written by Natalie Krebs um, in yep. Outdoor Life recently here last in, in January, and she talks about a lot of stuff in this, but. Most, I think most importantly is if you take that 30% that's 55 and older, that's a baby boomer, and you eliminate them from the situation, we're, we're kind of screwed. In fact, we're not kind of oh, screwed. Yeah. We're screwed. I mean, we're out of yep. – we're, we're, we went from 17 million hunters in 1982 to possibly in, you know, 2030, 6 million or less. Right. Um, but I yeah, think – you know, and, 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 and once they're done, I don't think – continue and then i'll go yeah well I no I, I like the phone <laughs> the phone podcast you get to do this like you go now i'll go um yeah I, what i would say to that is it's just like if somebody like daniel so daniel's 44 and he and he listened to joe and then found this podcast and other voices of people that have, have helped him but if he teaches his son who's 12 the new way right which isn't yeah. how we were taught but is is yeah. very um I think very just understanding of the complexity of hunting and, and how it plays out in the, our society and urbanization and, and kind of the conversation that needs to happen for everyone to understand hunting. If that guy yep. teaches his 12 year old son and you can get a hundred thousand or a million Daniels to teach their son, well then you have not only a new crop of hunters that are, sub 55 years of age but then even a a newer crop of hunters that are you know youth hunters that are learning a new way Uh, and i think that's probably important overall yeah i feel like that's probably the avenue we need to go down yeah to you know quote unquote save the hunting industry because i mean once we you know once we lose those 30 percent hunting's not over hunting's not gone um but our voice you know, in any sort of policy making is, is that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I are both early thirties. So you were kind of in that gap generation. That's, that's kind of wondering what happened before us and what will happen in the future. I mean, there just isn't, yep. there's no answer to, to why either one happened the way it did. Yep. And, uh, so this is a kind of a different thought, but, and you can correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, but I feel like, there's there's less hunters uh, now for sure. I mean that's in the math. But the hunters that are out there, I think through social media and through you know watching people who hunt hard, I think that the people that are out there in the field are um, even though there's less hunters. If you go hunt public land, it feels like there's more hunter presence now more than ever because the mentality is like oh, I got to walk five miles in. Yeah. Whereas it used, you know, whereas it used to be like, I'm going to go hunt, but you know, mile two off the road, like that's good enough. Um, and I think, you know, I've seen it in a lot of places where I've been, where even there's not that many people hunting, but you end up bumping into people because they have the same mentality as, as I do, where I'm just going to walk until I 
pretty sure I'm not going to see anybody. And then, you know, we're all sitting there on the same knob. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're five miles in. I used to do it. I, I did that as a kid. I'd try to walk. The further I walked them, I'd run into like the highway. <laughs> there right. would be 18 people in yeah. there. And was, I hadn't seen yeah. anybody for the five miles I'd walked in. Yeah. But yeah, I, think no, we need to, I think we need to recruit a new generation of road hunters. Yeah, a new generation <laughs> of hunters that like to spook stuff into the core of the wilderness where we That's right. <laughs> or we're waiting. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Guys that like to buy the license but don't like to yeah. do all the work. They don't care about that Pittman <laughs> Robertson tax. They'll buy seven guns. That's fine. That, that's right. Yeah. That's fun this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how that'll how that'll all break down. I mean, it's gonna take some decades for this all yeah. to shake loose. And it's hard to talk about it with just a bunch of numbers. Um yeah. Natalie did a good job in that outdoor life article of trying to break it down, but but it just it's gonna have to shake out. I mean, there was no way there was nobody in nineteen eighty two you know, prognosticating what it would be in 2018. There just is no way, there's no way to know. And I guess my overall, where I always stop when this line of conversation goes on is that I think urbanization is going to be hunting's biggest tool in the future just because people are going to be living in these cities and they're going to have this need to go outside and do something to connect them to nature and then hunting is going to be there waiting for them. And they're like, Oh, this, they do yep. it one time. They're like, Holy shit. This is awesome. Next thing you know. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, we shall see. We shall see yep. what's next for the bus, man. So the bus, uh, I think it'll be a, a big year for, for 2018 for the bus. Um, like I said before, kicking it off with some Turkey hunting and stuff. Um, rolling it out, uh, driving out to Boise for the BHA rendezvous. And it's going to be parked at, um, if anybody else is going out there that's listening to this, um, the bus is going to be parked all weekend at White Dog Brewing, uh, which is only about a block and a half away from the Boise Center. And going to try to plan some event for Saturday um, with the bus and kind of be out there and giving tours and whatever. But um, yeah, so going to, the, going to the rendezvous and then... Um, I'm going to focus down. Uh, my original plan was to just live in the bus for a year. And, uh, it turned, I did that all last fall. It turns out I can't get anything done. Like I, sh- <laughs> I shoot a lot of photos and video and I have all this great content and, um, but I don't have any time to sit down and, and get it all, you know, get it out to the, everybody who wants to see it. So I'm going to focus down a little bit this year and doing one or two big trips a month. Um, so you know, spring turkey, going to do some stuff in the Black Hills National Forest in South Dakota, uh, a bunch of other public land turkey hunting here and there. But um, going into the summer, in June, I'm doing a trip up to the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota. I'm going to be doing talking a lot about the potential mine site up there and kind of what that means and, and that whole wilderness area. And then uh, July, trying to work out some sort of a, you know, backpacking trip or something out on the National Forest and out west somewhere. And um, but yeah, but basically going to focus down one or two big trips a month and really, you know, kick out a lot of content for people and, and talk about, talk more about public lands and, and how they, you know, relate to private land and how we need both. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling, a lot of photo and video stuff and obviously rolling into 2018 hunting season. It's going to be, it's going to be busy. So it'll be a, it'll be a good year. I have no doubt about that. Do you are you realizing that I was just looking around on Instagram and uh, Instagram has made that Joe Rogan cover on your page sensitive content? Yeah, 
<laughs> uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to see that, but I've had several people comment that, that it, it was sensitive content. So oh, man. I don't know. I mean, it must be, somebody must flag the post. Um, you know, so like I had one person put a pretty negative comment on there. And so I deleted the comment cause nobody needs that. And I'm assuming that they flagged it, you know, for whatever. Sensitive. Um, it says this photo contains sensitive content, which people may find offensive or disturbing. Just people in general, not certain types of people, but all. Right. Yeah. But all people. Which is pretty funny because it's literally just meat. It's a picture of like, meat, man. <laughs> it's a picture of meat. He's not doing anything but holding a picture of meat. No, it's not like you know. It's not like Joe's holding it up like he's eating a giant turkey leg or something. Which yeah. would be he's not even doing anything to it. It's not even connected yeah, to an animal. There. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. this could be. We could go down a rabbit hole with this conversation. Holy shit! I can't believe that photo is now sensitive content on the internet. I know. I that know. Is, uh, anybody listening to this, check my page because I can't. I guess you can't see if it's your own shit sensitive content. But uh, yeah. Suffice to say, I think you and I post a lot of sensitive content. Yeah, a lot. Well, that's good. I like to be in that bucket. Which is fine. I think it made a lot more people look at it. Cause, yeah. <laughs> you know, Ain't I, that the funny I think thing? a lot of people want what they can't have, and they're yeah. like, well, I want to see what that is. Isn't that the funny um, part about that? They think they're protecting people, but really, that people are just drawn to whatever it is that they can't see. Yeah, yeah. In this case, it's Joseph Rogan. In this case, it's a Joe holding a moose leg. Holding a goddamn moose leg. Damn. Yeah. Well, yeah, good. Yeah. Back to the bus. Um I think I just personally appreciate what you're doing, and I think it's important in any effort to shine a light on, you know, BHA or TRCP or just just any piece of knowledge that folks can gain about these these subjects is important. I mean, I will, you know, in all honesty, I'm a board member for BHA, but I don't. I think that just makes me more my my sense is a little more heightened when it comes to the public land discussion. Um, but I think it's important for people to, and you've done you've done a great job, especially with stuff in South Dakota you've been doing recently, and then Boundary Waters, of just pushing people to get educated. You know, you can talk yeah. all day about how important it is, and get all real fluffy about America and America ideals and what public lands mean. That's that's great. Anybody f- can fucking do that. Anybody can say that. But what? Any, yep. What people can't say is, let's educate you on the Land and Water Conservation Act, or let's educate you on the mine they're proposing for the Boundary Waters and what that really is and what that could mean for the future. I think those things are important, yeah. so I'm glad you're you're bussing it, making it happen. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, everything's evolved, right, with ideas and whatever. And my original idea with the bus was to travel all over the country and you know go to different chunks, and and then I realized that I. Uh, I don't have to travel that far to tell the same story because it's, you know, like I just want people to be able to relate to me and like what I'm doing and what I'm talking about with wherever they live. I mean, I don't have to go to, you know, whatever. I don't have to go to Utah to talk about, you know, how important public land is. I can, you know, I can go hunt my old haunts or go explore some new places and and do the, you know, tell the same message. Um, The one hunt that I'm pretty excited about this fall, I just found out that I drew uh, uh, my North Dakota any deer uh, archery tag, which is fairly tough to draw. And so I'm going to go chase mule deer with a buddy of mine who lives in North Dakota. Um, but I'm pretty pumped up about that because uh, that entire, like a lot of the Western part, Western edge of North Dakota is 
uh, national grassland, but it's also home to the Bakken oil field. And it has been like the extraction and the roads and the wells and all of that stuff that's been built on there. I'm, I'm excited to show what, you know, a national, uh, like a federally owned place that has been turned into oil extraction is going to look like, or can yeah. look like. Yeah. And, you know, one of the places in the country that molded uh, Teddy Roosevelt's like view of land was the Badlands in North Dakota. And so, you know, I want to show a bunch of, you know, video footage and photography of that area this year. And, you know, you can like, if you remove all those roads and all those wells, you can kind of get an idea of what it would have looked like with none of that infrastructure in there. So that's, you know, I think, I think doing projects like that means more than like just, constantly cruising around in the in the bus going hey i'm in a bus you know like, <laughs> um, i'm in a bus i want to i want to i want to do things that are a little bit more meaningful oh good yeah i think those things are all yeah. important and it's that you know i've, I've found recently especially when like the, the land and water conservation act is up for for funding or up for yeah. defunding moreover um yeah and people have started to talk about it well i can guarantee you there's a whole generation of people that have no idea what that is and so you start mm-hmm. to get this general idea about what that fund is and where it comes from, but you don't really see it in action, right? You never, nobody ever does, delivers you a tangible example of what that money from that fund goes towards or where it comes from or, you know, the whole process. Um, same with Pittman-Robertson, the same with, with your tags and license fees. There's no, you don't buy the license and then in the book it doesn't tell you where the money goes. Uh, at least as far as I know. I've never seen that. No. You, you don't buy the rifle and you, it doesn't tell you what where that tax went. Um, yep. So I hope you know things like what you're doing are just specific examples that people can use to give a tangible uh, meaning to these ideas that were thrown around all the time. Yep. Yep. So, bravo. And then you also have public land tees going right? yeah yeah yep so started a t-shirt company to kind of kind of in conjunction with the bus project but um yeah publiclandtees.com and uh five dollars from every shirt goes to backcountry hunters and anglers and the reason you know a lot of people wonder why i chose bha and the reason i chose bha was because uh right now they have the large like what i feel is the largest voice talking to both people that hunt and people that fish and to be able to cross that line is is a is a big deal for me, and and to be able to you know raise money for an organization that is has a huge voice on in both of those communities is is a big deal. So, but yeah, publiclandtees.com, and I do have uh, some new designs coming out soon. I just need to get them mocked up on the um, on the digital side and then get them on the website for a presale. Good, I'm sure there'll be sensitive content. I'm sure there'll be probably very yeah, sensitive probably. designs. Yeah, well, good man. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to have you on and talk. I know we we talk all the time. We'll be hunting a bunch this year, probably together. I'm sure uh, we can't seem to not do that, which which I yeah. enjoy. Um, well, we, I, what we really need to figure out is how to get you on the bus at some point this year. Well, that shouldn't be hard. Like I'm no, it won't be. Well, I'll probably I, let's just say this: if you have an event at the rendezvous, I'll be on the bus. I'll okay, probably be the perfect. drunk guy in the back sleeping on the queen bed. <laughs> I'll be sure to lock up all of my valuable things. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I just think that as somebody who's 
you know, relatively to most people, a young man, you same for yourself. Like we've got a lot of years in this thing together and it's good to know yep. there's guys like you out there that care about the right stuff and are doing the right stuff. And, uh, I'll close by saying, thanks buddy. Really appreciate all you're doing. Hey. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Beautiful. Talk soon, man. Yeah, for sure. That's it. Episode number eight in the books. Appreciate Sam joining me talking about all things public lands all things hunting sam and i have a lot of stories to tell when it comes to big adventures we've done a lot of them and i appreciate always having sam along and uh i always compare that guy to if i he's my yanni if i was steve Rennell, he'd be my Giannis patellas and all compliments to everybody involved in that analogy i really enjoy sam he's a great dude so hopefully that conversation was enlightening for you guys thanks for checking us out go to thehuntingcollective.com for more of this type of conversation you can hear from steve ranella you can hear from ryan callahan john dudley charles post you can hear from shane mahoney aubrey marcus anybody that we've had in the first seven episodes prior to this one is there at thehuntingcollective.com they're also on itunes and stitcher You can also read articles and watch videos, things that I've been involved in, not only on the website, but also at BennyOB301 on Instagram. Until the next time, folks, I really appreciate you all. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for commenting. Please go subscribe on iTunes. Please follow us. Please tell your friends to do the same. And we'll keep cranking out content for you. Thank you. See ya. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.